Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. In a week in which the Dons faced their biggest non-cup final game since mm, probably Copenhagen back in 2007, I guess. Also, we'd already achieved something in getting that far, so maybe the neat tie. Either way, it's a heck of a long time ago. As it's such a big week, we sent out the begging letters, pulled in the favours and done things we frankly don't want to talk about to bring you a couple of guests worthy of discussing it. Firstly, the unmistakable smooth tones of Richard Gordon. Hello, Richard. Great to have you back with us. Guys, thank you so much for inviting me. Can't believe you haven't blocked our mobile number yet. <laughs> I blocked Michael Grant. Well, that kind of gives the game away, but um, probably still a bit angry with us as a result of his last place finish and play your dons right earlier this year. It's Michael Grant. I'd forgotten all about that until now, but thanks. Yeah, yeah, that's the the, the trauma has come crashing back in. The usual response is to blame your playing partner. <laughs> goes without saying. Uh, Michael, a summer covering Scotland in a major tournament, is that the sort of thing you could get used to? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have done it before, but uh, just uh, 22, 23 years in between. Um, yeah, great fun. Re- really exciting, but over in a flash, which is uh, always the case with these tournaments, unfortunately, if you don't get to the group stage. Out of the group stage, should I say. Or even get to the group stage, which is the objective this week. Now, the Euros, of course, at Baku as a host city. Uh, but the pristine surface of the Olympic Stadium for those matches was a world away from what awaited both sides last Thursday. A throwback of a pitch, giving way under every step, it seemed, and an indication of how UEFA really don't give a damn about the qualifying rounds. As we record this, we don't know the extent of Andy Considine's injury, Michael, and these things can obviously happen just as easily on a perfect surface, but it felt like that pitch was playing roulette with the players' welfare. It was really poor, wasn't it? And... Um... You saw, I think, Dave Cormack's uh, picture tweets the night before the game probably reflected the entire uh, travelling party's mood about playing on that surface. Um, not remotely good enough. I mean, it's a hard enough place. I've, I've, I've been there, uh, covered Celtic playing in the, in Baku, and um, it's a hard enough place to go to because of the heat, because of the travelling time and the distance and the you know acclimatising and all the rest of it. But to then play on a midden of a pitch, I, I mean, I know we'll touch on it, Richard, but I don't I didn't think it did uh, Carabag any favours either, because they, you know they're they're not uh, they're not a crude footballing team in terms of their style, um, so I don't think it did them any favours either. But yeah, did it contribute to the injury? You know, we'll probably hear from from Andy Considine and from Stephen Glass and from the medical team at some point on that, but you have to have your suspicions, eh? I think that's an absolutely fair point, Michael, that Carabag are a passing team normally, and it would not have done them any favours, but 
I thought on the night they did handle it better, Richard, than we did. I thought we had two modes. We were either being super cautious and super slow in possession, or we were lumping up the pitch. Yeah, I totally agree in terms of how they adapted to it. And, um, you know, if you think back to that game, there were a number of occasions where they put together decent moves. They were able to keep possession. Um, I mean, we really only did that on two or three occasions. And I did wonder whether the, the pitch had stifled the um, just the, the game plan for the Dons going into it. Because generally speaking, up until that point, we played some very good front foot football this season. It was a very different 90 minutes. Um, yeah, you can understand, perhaps there was caution, um, the need to try to come back with a positive result or a result that gave you a chance of getting through in the second leg. Um, so, I mean, all that may have contributed. It certainly, in, in my mind, and Stephen Glad said so after the game, that it contributed to Andy Considine's injury. Um, we're waiting the results of the scan, fingers crossed. I know that um, now he's a strong guy, he's strong mentally. Whatever the news is, uh, he'll be back as and when. But it just, it, it's ridiculous. And it shows how UEFA um, pay scant regard at times. I, I mean, like Michael, I've been in some middens of stadiums all across the continents. And you just know that had Scottish teams tried to use such facilities, they just simply wouldn't have been allowed. I, I mean, I, th- I thought it was a scandal, actually, that that pitch was used for a game of that magnitude. Yeah, I mean, Martin, you've got the situation where the team who played in Iceland, Redeblik, they were unable to use their home ground, small plastic pits, probably because they didn't have enough, you know, media posts or media places, but they were happy for the game to go ahead on that pitch last week. I'm sure there's lots and lots of different rules and regulations about that. And like you say, it'll be something about you know, media posts or there wasn't enough padded seats for UEFA delegates or something. It does seem to be that with Thursday's game, the last people that anybody kind of gave any thought to was, was the players or the people that's the need to be on the pitch. And that's that's really frustrating because you know we, found, we find ourselves with pretty worrying injury. Teams like us, and if we're being honest, I think teams like Carvag really aren't a priority. No, I, th- I think as I think back to how... The Petosri pitch was against Bayern Munich in February of that year. It wasn't a patch on the one in Baku, but it wasn't great. It was rutted. It was, you know, it was, it was a bit of a state. I think it was a big culture shock for the Bayern players that night. The, the further down the bowl you go in UEFA, then, yeah, they're concerned about the big clubs, the big money. What we're concerned about, though, is the fact that that first half on Thursday was a struggle. He struggled to get up the pitch, he struggled to retain the ball. We've already spoken a little bit about how we handled playing and passing on that surface. But what about the goal that sees us behind, Richard? We on the show that we did immediately after full-time, we weren't going in too hard on Joe Lewis. It's a lad that you had on your show, though, goes by the name of Miller, I think. I couldn't quite catch it. He was quite scathing, though. Yeah, Willie was convinced that Joe should have stopped it. Um, I must admit, initially, I felt he probably should have done as well. You look at it again, the guy actually, um, he's pretty skillful. He hits the ball quickly. Uh, and Joe, I think, well, he felt that Joe had slipped. I'm not sure he did, but he, he maybe just took half a step uh, in the opposite direction. I think we've just got so used to, over a number of years, Joe making wonder save after wonder save. And I'm not sure he's making just quite as many at the moment. Maybe that was uh, in Willie's mind. Um, I, I don't think he's entirely culpable, but... Let's be, if he'd saved it, I wouldn't have been surprised. So I'm kind of stuck somewhere in the middle. Um, it certainly rocked us. I mean, and conceding the goal certainly rocked us as well. Though so, um, it was 
as I'm sure we're going to discuss, it was a little bit more encouraging in the second half. And and the, look, I think I think getting out of Karabag or out of Baku, one nil down to Karabag, having played on that pitch, um, might just have been about as good as we got, um, given how we performed on the night. Yeah, uh, I, I have to ask though, is Willie always that scathing with goalkeepers? Um, yeah, <laughs> he likes goalkeepers to be put in their place. Um, I mean, he, he did that with Mister Layton for many years. Um, he, <laughs> um, he, he's not. Yeah, I think he probably is actually. He's um, he, he he doesn't give them cut them much slack. It has to be said. I would. I think that's fair to say. No, it must be tough for him if he can't just turn around and tell him to stay on the line. Um, he must struggle to go over that. Um, what about yourself, Michael? Um, I, I I despair at the kind of oh he should do better the line of sort of goalkeeping analysis that we tend to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, my starting position here is to never disagree with anything that Willie Miller says. Um, but um, I, I, well, yeah, I I know what you mean, Richard. I think uh, it's often said, you know, a keeper should never be beaten at his near post and all that sort of. I, I I don't really buy that. I mean, I think if a shot is accurate and hard enough, then you know a, a keeper is going to be beaten. I think with that one. If it had been even six inches either side, Joe's either saving it or it's hitting the post and going past. You know, it was, it was just exactly what it had to be to go in. Um, I, yeah, I, I, like the guys, I, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Certainly, it's not a howler. Um, Joe, as Richard said, has maybe wobbled a bit. There was a wobble in, at Tyne Castle as well at the weekend, um, but he did make a couple of good saves in Carabag, which. You know, we're coming back with a one nil, a three nil is an entirely different uh, scenario, which would have uh, would have just killed the tie. Martin, I think that both Richard and Michael lead to something which is being discussed, and it is the fact that Joe Lewis is making a volume of mistakes that he simply wasn't making in his first couple of years at Petrodrick. Um And Saturday afternoon, five minutes before the goal, we saw something that he should have dealt with routinely, nearly turn into a goal for Hearts. It's a live issue now, isn't it? Where it simply hasn't been up to this point of, you know, do you drop Joe Lewis? What do you think? Do we? After the game, I thought the, I thought a lot of the criticism that he was getting online, online after the game was, I think, was 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 a little bit out of order. Um, it was a little bit too strong. Everybody suddenly decided after what three appearances, two appearances that Gary Woods is, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you know, I, th- I still think Joe Lewis is a really, really good goalkeeper. Probably the best goalkeeper we've had here in years and years, um, and I think I think you stick with him because I think he's, I don't know if it's his lack in confidence at the moment. I mean, we're not exactly super tight defensively at the moment, and I think that's perhaps making him struggle a little bit. Um, but I do think that some of the criticism it, it does is getting a, is getting a bit you know a bit too much. I mean, I suppose as Aberdeen fans, um, it's a it's a crying shame for us that someone like David Priest, who used to be able to kind of put us in our box and just would give us some nice analysis and would come and speak to idiots like me and you, Richard, and explain these things about goalkeepers and why you know it wasn't a bad mistake, it wasn't that you know he's got a full time job at Sunderland now, so he can't do, give us his time, and he was able to explain these things, whereas. You know, I think there's a lot of people like will repeat, like you mentioned, oh, keeper should never be beaten at his near post. It's like, come on, <laughs> people are people are smarter and better than that, and should and know that you, know, you can be beaten from anywhere. I just I sense, Martin, there's a an element of a, an almost year zero approach. Some of the players who were most closely associated with the last regime seem to be the ones who are getting it in the neck most right now. Any truth to that, or am I just seeing things that aren't there? 
I think there's maybe a kernel of truth in there. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that everybody now has got a I know people are looking at everybody with a clean slate, whereas Joe Lewis should have does have with most most people and should have a lot of credit in the bank. But I, I do think there's like a there's a small amount of merit to that that you know this is the post McInnes era. Let's forget everything that happened in the past. I think that's unfair. In terms of new players, Richard, I think it's fair to say that uh, Jay uh, Emmanuel Thomas has been rather polarising, and his performances have equally been pretty polarising. Thursday night was not a night for him. No, uh, no, it wasn't. Um, I mean, you may be alluding to the fact that clearly I'm at one end of the scale, and uh, others are at an entirely different end. Um, like I wasn't. Convinced by him um, when I saw him at Livingston, I saw a fair bit of him. Uh, for me, he had moments of magic. Um, he would occasionally illuminate a game, but mainly he was a, a bystander. Um, I was surprised when Aberdeen bought him. Um, I think the intention was for him to be perhaps the third striker at the time, but of course we only have two strikers at the moment, although that may change pretty soon, I think. Um, so look, I'm, I'm trying very hard um, to be as open-minded as I possibly can. I just haven't... I mean, obviously, the goal against Wraith was, was was outstanding. There have been a couple of flicks. He certainly played much more of a part uh, against Hearts in the, at Tynecastle at the weekend. Um, but for me, for me, I have yet to be convinced that he's going to be a, a long-term answer to uh, any of the issues we have up front. <laughs> that was very delicately handled. I thought, um, but <laughs> it's, it's interesting because the previous manager used to take a lot of stick because he was, it was said, prone to picking guys up who had maybe had one or two good games against us. Do you think that Stephen Glass has fallen into that trap? I, I, I think... Um... I think it would be wrong to level that kind of accusation at him. Um, surely they'll they'll have watched more than just that one cup tie against the Dons. Um, they'll have done their homework, I'm sure. And I mean, clearly, look, they, they obviously feel that there is a player there, and they obviously feel um, he and Alan Russell, in particular, I guess, can work with them and can get more out of them. I, I did say in the, the column a couple of weeks ago, it might be that he's just the type of player who needs that bigger stage, and, and he may flourish as the season goes on. Uh, I just um, I haven't seen it yet, other than the flashes, but I, I saw the flashes when he was at Livingston. I just, I'm just i looking for a bit more over the course of a 90 minutes or 45 minutes, however long he's on the park, um, to convince me that he, he's at the kind of level that's, that we require. Uh, Michael, if... Um... Thursday wasn't a match for Emmanuel Thomas. He he did at least make a contribution on Sunday, which we'll we'll talk about later. But bringing on Conor McLennan at half time, it did help us quite considerably to get up that pitch. Simply because he was providing a higher press, just a better outlet for the team when they were pumping those long balls down. And also I think allowed Lewis Ferguson and Funzo Ojo to engage with their opposite number a bit higher up the pitch. Those tweaks in the sub, it contributed to a much more encouraging second half, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, if we're talking about Jet being a kind of polarising and divisive player, I suppose a lot of that applies to Conor McLennan as well. I mean, a, a completely different skill sets of two players, but both both uh, inconsistent and, and erratic and frustrating. You know, I mean, uh, quite a lot of um, fellow fans, you hear them uh, arguing the case for Conor McLennan or against him, but yeah, certainly he made a difference in the in the game in uh, in Baku. I feared right until 
pretty much the last minute or so that we were going to lose a second and a third because you've seen it so many times with Scottish teams, uh, you know, whether it's us, whether it's, you know, Hibs, Hearts, whoever, the old firm. Um, and, 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 you know, you come away from a game like that where you've probably competed okay and, 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 and you've lost 2 or 3 nil. But, yeah, they, d- they did play better and... Um, I saw, um, forgive me if it was one, one of your own guys that uh, tweeted it, but I saw somebody making the point that, uh, you know, quite a few of the players looked still to have good energy and good uh, good running, um, even in, in, in that heat and uh, that uh, nature of game. So I think that's been um, a factor that I've noticed as well in the, in the early stages of the season and been quite encouraged by. Yeah, I thought they did stand up to the, the effects of the heat pretty damn well. Um Considering uh, that most of them are used to nothing more than a 15 degree summer up here in Scotland. That was Thursday. We'll talk more about Carabag later on. Obviously, one of the things that comes out of uh, Thursday night, one of the things that comes out of the current situation is that we are quite light on bodies. Transfer deadlines of eight days away. Okay. We haven't got tabloid guys guys on. We haven't got uh, guys like Scott Burns with his inexhaustible supply of uh, usually on the money transfer gossip. But um, listen, we've got one of Scotland's top journalists here, Michael. So what have you heard about what's happening? <laughs> um, nothing that you guys haven't heard. And, uh, <laughs> um, in fact, probably quite a lot less. Um, yeah, listen, I mean, we, we've already alluded to it here that the squad looks light. Um, Stephen Glass has, has dropped a, a few hints to that effect as well. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's almost alarming in, in some areas of the side. Uh, and we're seeing it if, if Considine is to be out for some for, for a period, we're very light in central defence. Uh, I, I find the attack ex- especially alarming because you think right from the start of the season, you think if either of these guys get injured then where is the cover um, and you know as uh, Richard Gordon said um, I don't see Jet particularly as a, a guaranteed starter, he shouldn't be a necessarily a guaranteed starter, I think he does contribute I think he will contribute, there will be games that suit him down the ground but I would like I would like somebody else to be the kind of um, the established starter alongside or slightly behind Ramirez. Um, there are other areas of the side as well that that, that, that need to be bolstered and, and, and um, deepened, but I think uh, central defence and, and up front are obviously the, the, the concerns at the moment. Richard, one bid that was uh, brought out into the cold light of day was that from Martin Boyle. Would you taking this? Is this a bit of speculative kite flying on behalf of the club? Or simply one of those situations where he's worth much more to the selling club than a buying club would reasonably pay? I think he would have been a wonderful signing and I think he would have been exactly what we needed. Um, I don't actually know if I already knew that the, the clause related only to clubs down south or whether it was just a, a bit of a statement of intent. Um, I think Hibs were going to do anything they could to prevent uh, losing a player to Aberdeen, that's for sure. Um, I think I think what you, you will find, I mean certainly before the end of the transfer window, um, I think there will be at least two, if not three, new players in. Certainly, um, that's the kind of position that uh, I would expect to see strengthened. I certainly would expect central defence to be strengthened um, midfield. I think they may well also be looking at as well. And of course, that will also depend on what happens with Lewis Ferguson as to whether there is a further increased bid for him. So, I mean, I think we will, before the window shuts, we will have some new faces, some new players to get to um, enjoy, to get to know, and, and the squad needs it. 
I mean, right at the start of the season, it was one of the games, forgive me, I can't remember which, but the bench, I looked at the bench, I think, wow, that's as strong a bench as I can remember. And it, was, it wasn't it was a game where we'd rotated, it was a decent starting eleven as well. Um, you look at the bench more recently and you see where there are significant gaps. The injuries um, clearly have started to take their toll. Um, Andy Considine's out, Ryan Hedges, waiting to find out about Johnny Hayes, obviously he's been injured a couple of times in, in recent matches as well. So, um, look, I think Dave Cormack will back the manager. Um, he's brought him in. He's put him into what is clearly a very demanding position. Um, and he it's important for Dave Cormack that this works. So I think he will give Stephen all the support that Stephen requires. Um, so I think the squad may look a little bit different um, within the next week or so. What are you expecting to see in terms of the profile, the, the sort of players that have been targeted? Because, you know, we, we were told beforehand that it was going to be young guys, guys with sell-on values. And a lot of the captures since then have been the opposite. And Martin Boyle, I think he's 29. Again, he wouldn't have had any sell-on value. So is it just something that can make an impact now or is it going to be a mixture? Well, I mean, Martin Boyle, I think he's 28, but he, he would make an impact for the next three or four seasons. Um, so I guess you're looking at that and thinking, well, there's, there's value for money, even if we do have to spend that sort of cash. Uh, I think in the main, they will look to younger players now. Um, that there are certain players that were brought in, uh, and Scott Brown is an obvious one who, who doesn't fit the profile, but he, he comes and, and brings so much to the table that other players simply wouldn't have been able to. So I think they're more likely... To be looking at, um, I mean, players who are who have got a level of experience and who have established themselves to a certain extent, um, and I think they're prepared to pay cash. But I think we could also anticipate the potential of a, a James Madison type deal, where they're they're looking at younger players who are coming through, who are making some kind of headway at the, the big English clubs, but who would benefit from a season on loan. Um, I think there's probably a mixture of the two that they're contemplating. Uh, it's just so frustrating. I mean, I know they've been working on loads of deals, and most of them don't come to light, as Michael knows. I mean, the, the amount of tip-offs you get, the amount of um, pointers you get, and I don't know, 90% of them probably come to absolutely nothing um, because of the difficulties in getting transfers over the, the line. Michael, the, um, there's now a wage cap in League One and League Two down in England, and it's that sort of thing which you feel could well play into our hands when it comes to that loan market for emerging Premier League players. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Martin's point about um, a guy with uh, Woodburn's uh, profile. I, I, I do think it's important that these guys have got a kind of bank of playing experience behind them, though, you know, because I think... Sometimes um, you can see English Premier League academy players coming up to the to our league, and, the, and there's a natural element of excitement about that. But I, I think quite often these young kids struggle because our game is, you know, extremely fast, extremely physical. They, it, it's it's harder and tougher than they're probably used to, and the the impact isn't always there. I mean, that you know, Madison. Uh, was a glorious exception. Although you, you, could, you could argue that even he was not always starting at the end of his um, at the end of his time with us. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you know that uh, the salary cap um, could work in our favour. I mean, I think Thursday night's outcome is going to be hugely um, pivotal in terms of the our 
A, a our um, ability to pay uh, wages and um, B, our attractiveness to, to players. Um, you know, OK, it's only the Conference League, but it's European football. Um, so I, I, I think that would be a game changer. I think um, I think Glass, uh, Stephen Glass alluded to that at the weekend as well, that... You know, we're going to get players in, as Richard said, but perhaps there's perhaps there are two lists that we're working on, and and and, and the second one would be the would be just slightly higher quality, slightly more expensive, because there could be that three million pound coming in at the club. Yeah, of course. Obviously, if there's another six games that we need a squad for, that's a factor as well. Um, so to Tynecastle on Sunday, I think Richard, a lot of us had thought that we were going to get. A wealth of changes, a lot of rotation like we've seen at Livingston and at Wraith Rovers, but not quite so much. I think this was an acceptance that this uh, Tynecastle Hearts are likely to be a fellow top six side, and it was the importance of laying down a marker almost, at least not surrendering the points just before a kickoff. Yeah, I must admit I was pleased that he didn't make the kind of changes that he had made. Um, we weren't too far off what would have been a First choice starting lineup, and it was important. Yeah, I mean that. Look, Ray Rovers the week before was important. Winning a cup um, would be the holy grail, wouldn't it, for us all? Um, but yeah, really important to go there. They were, um, they've been strong at home. They've been on a good winning run at home um, from the end of last season and then starting this season. Um, and they are going to be, they're going to be a tough opponent throughout the course of this campaign. Um, so yeah, it was important to go there with um, a team that we felt could take them on potentially win the game. Um, I thought, again, it was it was slow at times. Just didn't quite get into the rhythm that we've seen in the earlier part of the season. All that changed in the second half. But I, I was... I, I actually, you know, coming away from Tynecastle with a point, um, and remember Celtic have already lost there this, this season, so um, I certainly wasn't any doom or gloom off the back of that. It kept the unbeaten run going. Um, and... I just hope that there have been no further injuries that we haven't quite heard about yet. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the two knocks that were picked up during the course of the game, hopefully they're not serious. Would Jack McKenzie miss it out as well? But we've had an inkling that that's not particularly serious, both in terms of um, what we heard pre-match and also from the manager after the match. Unlike some of the other games, Martin, where squad players have featured, some of the guys who haven't maybe been starting week in, week out, actually did themselves a lot of justice. I'm thinking of Teddy Jenks, for example, who I thought had his best game. I'm thinking of the subs that came on, and Dean Campbell, in a relatively unfamiliar position, and indeed Emmanuel Thomas made a contribution, a big contribution. They really did, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with what you say about Jenks there. No, that was what we were, a lot of what we saw from him on Sunday is what we've been hoping hoping we were going to get from him. Um, and I was, I, was quite, I was quite impressed with him. No, um, obviously Campbell coming on in the second half, we did what we did wonder, you know, that you know it was it was going to look like look tough for him to get some game time because he'd you know he'd, he'd not been featuring, um, and it was hard to see it was it was hard to see where he was going to slot in. But you know, comes on comes on after forty five minutes, and I thought he did. Yeah, he had a really good game. Uh, maybe just um, sent a little bit of a message to the manager. Um, obviously, an assist helps as well. Um, just a reminder that you know, and he, I mean, you know, Campbell is a good football, good footballer. You know, he's you know, he's re- good, good distribution. He's you no, know, he's he's not super quick, but he, I think he's quick. Um, and it was really, it was really good to see him coming on because again, we've spoken about all the time about wanting what to see young players doing well here. Um, and so him coming on the second half when 
no, if I'm being honest, I thought we would probably see him nipping out on loan somewhere um, to try and get some game time. Um, if you know, if he's able to take advantage of of you know the injuries that we have at the moment, and I hope, obviously, hope the injuries aren't serious, but um, it is it is one. It's that old cliche of it's you no, know, it's a good headache for the manager to have, knowing fine that somebody like Dean Campbell can come on unfamiliar position but still play pretty well um, and help us get a, get a point down there. I mean, Michael, the focus is going to be on his assist, um, but really, Hearts in that first half, the problems that they were causing us were primarily Ginelli on that um, on that right-hand side, who, very, very quick, much like Martin Boyle, in fact, a little bit suspect in his final ball, much like Martin Boyle, Boyle in fact, and the tendency to go down very cheaply in the box. Put your own punchline in there. Doing him a disservice just to point to the assist, I think, Dean Campbell, because he, he really sort of quietened down the, the threat that Hearts had down that right hand side. Yeah, he, he did. Are, are you hinting that we should put a bid in for Josh Ginelli just out of, uh, <laughs> out of, out of badness? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, it, it has looked like Dean Campbell. Um, has been one of the victims of uh, the managerial change, you know, and uh, the the arrivals of um, the summer arrivals, Scott Brown especially, is you know, is, is that's obviously going to displace one of the midfielders because Brown's going to start pretty much every week, certainly in the bigger games. Um, I did fear for Dean Campbell, perhaps I still do, in terms of um, just holding down a place. Um, you know, it it it. it I thought it's been quite evident since the weekend that there's still a lot of goodwill towards him, certainly from the support. You know, I think the support enjoyed um, his performance, enjoyed his contribution at the goal. And listen, it's not easy to come in uh, and play out of position as he did. It's not easy to go to Tinkers. Like, I wouldn't say I'd written that game off when, when, as soon as we got through to play Carabag, but I thought that is going to be one mightily difficult fixture coming back from Baku and then going straight to Tinkers. Like, I either thought we would just be dead on our feet or um, that we would make so many changes that e- you know either 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 element would weaken us um, too much to take anything. So uh, so you know like 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 uh, Richard there, I, I, I was I was pleased that we came back, uh, uh, cl- pleased that we avoided defeat, and also I really liked the kind of aggression and the character and the spirit. And I know that we might come on to speak to speak about Scott Brown, but I just thought he epitomised that that fight that we that we brought to the game on on uh, at the weekend. Yeah, I definitely don't want to be doing cartwheels about a draw at Tynecastle. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think like Michael, I had probably more or less written that game off, Richard, particularly when we went a goal down to what anybody who attended Aberdeen Hearts games at Tynecastle between about 1995 and 2015 expects to see it's the standard Hearts penalty kick. <laughs> yeah, they have had a few uh, in these matches. I, I think it was a penalty. Uh, I mean, I had a disagreement with one or two individuals in the wake of that, but yeah, for me it was a penalty. And um, I, I must admit, I, I thought we were done. I thought we were done at that point. You're behind on the day, as Michael outlined there. You've had this. You hold yourself right across Europe, the far reaches of uh, Europe, to go and play in Baku. You come back. You've got back late or early in the Friday morning. Um, everything was stacked against us. And, and I, actually, I thought the performance from that point onwards, virtually. Was um, was excellent. It was it was fantastic. I thought Dean Campbell really did make an impression. Um, as I said earlier, G. Emmanuel Thomas contributed as well. Uh, I thought the goal was excellent. So almost from the, uh, for I was preparing for defeat, and um, 
preparing not to particularly enjoy losing to Hearts, um, given one or two of my pals who are Hearts fans. But um, no, I mean, I think to me, I, I know what you mean. You, you don't want to be doing cartwheels about getting a draw almost anywhere, I suppose. But in the circumstances, um, I thought it was a fine result and one that, that just keeps the momentum going, certainly in the league and um, gives us a bit more confidence, I would hope, going into the game on Thursday. Martin, um, we have, um, (laughs) along with half the fan base, really been quite critical of Finza Ojo's uh, abilities in front of goal. But hardest chance of the season, knocks it away like he's a 25-goal season striker. He's spoken in the aftermath about that, about um, about how Alan Russell's been working with him, and I think that's really important to consider the fact that he is in the shape that he's playing right now. He is an attacking player. He's part of um, you know the three attacking midfielders supporting Ramirez, and if things are going as they should do, he is going to see more chances. What a, what a finish! Um, <laughs> given some, you know, we've we know we've kind of half, you know, sarcastically half joking about how bad some of the misses were um, in some of the previous games, but the, that finish and it, it pays off, you know. And this is the thing where you see stuff like that. That's where what Alan Russell brings is you know is paying off. Because we're seeing things like that, you know, the finishing's getting better. Obviously, there's an understanding coming between, you know, particularly between him and hopefully Ramirez and maybe with Jet as well and some of the other attacking players. When hopefully when Hedges, you no know, Hedges comes back and plays more games, so we'll hopefully see that. We obviously we, we obviously didn't see the best of him. You know, he was under the previous manager. You know, he was playing a little more, a little further back, um, and that's not the well. That clearly isn't the type of player he is, and now we're getting getting to see what seems to be the best out of him. I, I think no one will be more surprised than himself, frankly, that he's uh, that he's performing in this role when he his entire career basically has been in that holding midfield role. It's uh, not particularly, not especially to do with the previous manager. But um, it was a good response. Did start to see more of the ball. Felt hearts maybe dropped off a little bit. We won that midfield battle and we started to gain real ascendancy in there. And key to that, Michael Scott Brown. I mean, we on this show had a long conversation about Scott Brown before he joined. A lot of it wasn't necessarily to do with what he brings to us on the football pitch. But on the pitch, I think for most of this season, he's been head and shoulders above the rest of our midfield. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I'm sure uh, you aren't particularly aiming for a family audience here, so I can say that he brings the bastard factor that um, we have uh, maybe missed at times uh, or for for much of the last few years. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. Um, we've all watched uh, Scott Brown for Celtic in Scotland um, time and time again. I find it fascinating watching him now in the Aberdeen side and, and you know, now appreciating... Um, or or liking his uh, his uh, mastery of the dark arts more than I ever have before. Um, I think he's just he he is so experienced and clever. You know, I think back to the the Breidablik, um game when he he blocked runners to stop them getting to Ramirez, who can then score from the from the corner. Um, you know, it, it, it's not rocket science, but it's important, and 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 he's he's switched on to that sort of stuff. You know, I like him. I, I, I just, I, I just like, I like him getting an opponent's faces. You know, even when we're celebrating goals, he's he's looking at, uh, he's goading some other player or a, or a, or their fans or whatever, or he's interacting with our fans. You know, bodying Andy Halliday at Tynecastle was, uh, uh, you know, obviously has gone. Uh, you've seen clips on the, 
on Twitter and so on is great. Uh, I mean, all the stuff that we would turn our noses up at and uh, condemn when he was in a Celtic strip, we're now we're now lapping it up. Let, let, let's be honest. Uh, Richard, you never had any doubts that this was going to be a successful move, did you? I remember back in May when it was first announced, you were adamant in your column that this was going to work. Yes, I know you took exception to one or two of my comments um, then, and I can understand why. Um, I've had to, I spent weeks trying to persuade my friends that this was going to be potentially one of the biggest, most important signings that we've made in decades, um, because I've watched them closely over many, many years. Um, yes, there have been times in games against Aberdeen where um, he's riled me in the same way as he's riled other fans, but I just, I, I've just revelled in him being the kind of professional he is, and I knew that what he would he would bring to the table at Aberdeen. I knew the response he would get from players. Um, I, I think even that that first game against Hacken, seeing him at the end of the match celebrating, pumping his fist, the red shirt on, getting the players together, going around and, and applauding, and it just. I'm loving it, absolutely loving it. And um, there were a few moments at Tynecastle, you, you just knew that that game was ideal for Scott Brown. Uh, he clearly enjoyed it. And um, I just think he will continue to make a, a massive contribution throughout the course of the season. So um, I, I know I've still got some of my pals are still wavering. Uh, I don't know why, but they, <laughs> they are. Um, I feel sure he'll win them over by the end of it because I just think he is, as Michael said, he is everything we needed in that not just in the team but in the club in the dressing room on the training pitch um, I think he will be he'll be key to anything that we succeed any success we have this season Martin the just Sunday as an occasion as an event I think we've gone to the various different steps to get here you know with 5,000 back at the hacking game 13 15,000 rather at Breadablick yesterday so Away fans in a ground, a proper stadium, good atmosphere, generally speaking, there anyway. It just felt, yeah, it's properly back. Football's properly back. Well, this is, this is what we've wanted back. This is what we missed. You know, last season, sitting in front of laptops and iPads watching the football is, you know, that's, it isn't football. And it's just, it is great to have that back. And, you know, I know it's not the first away day we've had so far, but obviously you saw the first one at Livingston. Um, this as well. No big, you know, noisy travel and support. You know, want to get behind the team. You know, there's a there's a good feeling about the team at the moment as well. And um, people people are you no know, people are wanting to get to games, wanting to make noise, wanting to have a good time. And it really is just you know, particularly down there as well. You know, you know Tide Castle's always it's always a good atmosphere when for in when you for away teams going down there. And Michael, it really feeds back into the players, doesn't it? it? Feeds back into that that needle from the stands. It intensifies what's going on in the pitch. So much of last year has felt like football with gloves on. Yeah, it did. I mean, a lot of the games last season, the, the, the tempo seemed slower and um, more measured. Not just Aberdeen. I'm talking about. I'm talking about in general. Um, it was easier for the press to get packed, though I'll say that. You know, you, you could drive, you could, you could drive there without any traffic. It was, you know, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> but no, listen, it's, it's absolutely magnificent. And, you know, Tynecastle just epitomises, um, you know, Scottish football atmosphere at, at, at its finest. And that's what we're hoping that we're going to get for ourselves on the, the return game on Thursday night. Yeah. Um, shall we talk about Thursday? Yeah, we will. Before we go any further, though, 
I just want to point your attention to the crowdfunder we're currently running to sponsor a player, maybe even players, on the AFC women's team. Uh, we actually managed to hit the target for one sponsor's package within the first 24 hours, which was a great effort from everyone who contributed. Uh, we're going to leave it open until the end of the month in the hope of maybe matching what we did in 2019 and hitting enough for two players. But if we don't quite get that far, the balance will be donated to the Aberdeen for All campaign. You can find more details and a link to the Just Giving site on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, I believe that we're at AFC. Here we go on both of them. Uh, of course, the obvious question that falls out of that is why don't you feature the women's team more on the podcast? Well, that's a very good question as uh, only through increased coverage and exposure on commercial media sites are women's sports going to have a chance to grow and compete in what have been male-dominated environments. However, about the only thing this podcast here has going for it, apart obviously from being able to call surprisingly good guests, is the fact that it is at least authentic. It's born out of decades of Martin and I trooping out of Pedodri to watch the men's teams a lived experience hopefully feeds back into the half-baked opinions you come to expect here every week. Now, neither of us have that connection with the women's team yet. It might come. I certainly hope to get up to Cove's going to watch them at some point this season, but right now it's not there. Now, somebody else out there is probably already in the process of creating this independently, and more power to them, as independent is definitely the way to go. But if anyone is keen on starting a podcast about the women's team, feel free to get in touch with us, whether that's just for advice on how not to produce the pod, if you want a signal boost or are running a show on our feed, we'd be happy to help. Equally, if you want to get in touch with us to say we're a pair of pricks with overinflated egos, to even think that our opinion on this matters, then you can, and you'd probably be right. Okay, the bigger one, the 5 million euro match. The game will, that will decide whether it's caviar or gruel in the Pataudry canteen for the rest of the year. Carabag at Pataudry on Thursday. In every game, you ask yourself two questions, Richard. Do we have our attacking play to damage them? I think if we play as we did in the, the first game against Haken, as we did against Dundee United, uh, at times against Breedablick in particular, um, yes. But it's about getting that right. Um, I, I'm not sure that we really know how good or otherwise Carabag are after seeing them on that pitch. Um, they've certainly got a you know, they've got a reputation over recent years in terms of um, some of the successes that they've enjoyed in Europe. So they're going to be tough opposition. Um, I, I do think we're going to need to see probably the very best of the kind of attacking positive football that we've seen at times in the early part of the season if we're to get through them. Um, I mean... Yeah. And you would hope that the chances are created for Christian Ramirez, who put them away. He's obviously had a bit of a lean spell in recent matches and had that one opportunity at Town Castle and, and didn't take it. Um, but I think he's shown that uh, given the ball in front of goal and there's a very good chance he'll put it in the net. Um, so I've, I've got my concerns uh, at both ends of the pitch, I have to say. Um, but I would hope that... Like, I think we all hope. It's just, it's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? It's going to be a very noisy, very busy Pataudry. It's a, it's a massive occasion. You just hope the players rise to it. Um, and I think if we get a good, strong, positive start, that could go a long way to settling any nerves and to allowing them to express themselves on the night. Yeah, Michael, that is the other side of the coin, the other question. Do we have the awareness and perhaps even the pace at the back not to be caught on what we expect will be a counter-attacking, a counter-attacking side. Yeah, I mean that has to be the worry. It's probably been the worry from from the very start of the season when we've when we've kind of realised 
how things are likely to be this season. You know, entertaining uh, goals, goals at our end, but also uh, liable to be exposed and or overexposed at the back. Um, I think Richard makes a really good point about Carabag and, and and really still not having a handle on just how good they are. Um, you know, you look at their record. I think it's eight eight seasons in a row of group stage football. That that shows you that they're a, a substantial. Uh, side or club at least um, but I wasn't blown away with them in the first leg at all I thought quite often their passing was really poor as well, surprisingly poor at times um, you know the two rounds that they've come through so far have been have been um, narrow I think 1-0 on aggregate and then 2-1 on aggregate their league form has been fine but I, you know, I think the, the 3-0 win was against a team that finished bottom of the league last season so you know, you're, you're straining for evidence of just how good they are. Um, I think everything needs to click for us on on Thursday. That you know, the crowd has to be big. I think I think I think we can take it for granted that the atmosphere is going to be something special because everybody that's buying tickets knows the the magnitude of the match, and you know, you just need the players to respond to that to to um, to be inspired by it rather than to kind of. Buckle under the weight of um, of what the club uh, of what the tie means and what the money would mean. Um, you know, dare I say it? We're, we're we're overdue a really special night for us for the club, a really special result for the club. This, this would be a nice one to come. Yeah, absolutely would. Um, what I would say, Martin, is that um, contrary to kind of almost what Michael is saying, there, it's the fact that we just need one goal. One goal to extend the tie at least. We're going to need more than that or we're going to need penalty kicks to get through. But one goal in the course of 95, 96 minutes, however long it is, will at least extend the tie. It doesn't matter when it comes. There's no away goals now. So even a Carabag goal is, and I've done the maths, 50% less disastrous than it would have been before. So um, as much as we want it perhaps to be up-tempo and up and at them, and maybe that is the best way of playing them, patience is... A factor on Thursday. Yeah, it is. It's exactly the way. I mean, even though there's not the risk of you know the the away, the away goal, if we can just be, you know, you can you start the game, just be patient, take your time. All we need, like you say, all we need, we just need one. And I think it's important that that we don't get lured into you know maybe steaming forward, trying you know trying to get the game seen off really early. Um, I know there's other people who would completely disagree with that and say you know go out there, get the early one, and then go and win the tie, and that's brilliant, you know. Um, I would love to see that, but um, but I also would be concerned at that that if you know you we push too early, you, know, you concede one, it's not the end of the world if you go, you know if they do score, but it makes things a hell of a lot harder, obviously. Um, so I would just I would I think yeah I would like us to just be a little more patient, work ourselves into the game, and I think I mean look there's definitely goals in this Aberdeen team. You know we can score. There's no uh, there's there's no getting away from that. I'm confident. I am quite confident. I think, no, we definitely will score. I think we just need to take it a bit more carefully. I mean, what do you think, Richard? Do you think we can get joy out of a sort of more methodical approach, maybe what we saw in the second half at Tancastle, sort of gradual gaining of control, or whether it just has to be up and at their throats? No, it won't be up and at their throats. Uh, it will be measured to an extent. But, of course, all that's dictated by how the early exchanges go. If they score early, then our approach changes. If we score early, perhaps our approach changes at that point as well. So it, it's a bit of an unknown quantity. I think I think it will be measured. I think they want to get a feel 
for, like I said earlier, how, exactly how good Karabag are. Um, they may, uh, and, and there will be, as the game unfolds, there will be things, no doubt, that Stephen Glass, Alan Russell, um, will notice from the touchline. Things that perhaps weren't evident on that horrible pitch in Baku. So, um, no, I, I don't think for a minute they'll be up and at them, but I would like to see that certainly that kind of intensity, um, to, to just stop them playing, I guess, um, to be on the front foot, certainly. Um, and, you know, I, I think if we play as we did the last half hour at Tynecastle, I think there would be a, a very good chance of it being that special night that Michael was talking about. Michael, I kind of feel that the lineup's going to be dictated simply by the available bodies on Thursday night, such as the injury issues right now. But um, out, of the last couple of, out of the last couple of games, Tynecastle in particular, is there anybody you think has really played their way into this team? Um, Tank Castle in particular. No, I mean I I wouldn't put uh, Dean Campbell in, for example, if that's what you mean. I'm I'm slightly at a disadvantage because I haven't seen the full ninety from uh, Tank Castle. Uh, just the, the the highlights. I mean, you're looking. You know, Stephen Glass has been quite coy on the injuries, um, hasn't he? I mean, you know, Considine, Hedges, Hayes, McLennan. Mackenzie, there's there's kind of question marks over all of them and and uh, the extent of their injuries and and you don't know whether he's he's playing mind games because he doesn't want um, Carabag knowing that some of these guys might be back or or that he doesn't want them knowing that they're all definitely out. I mean, I think we think Mackenzie's going to be okay. The others, we're not so sure. Um, but are you well? You're probably looking at Considine, Hedges, Hayes, Mackenzie starting if 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 they're all fit. So. I, I don't see radical changes, um, Richard. I don't see um, I don't see glass deviating from um, what we what we would look at and, and recognise as, the, start, as the, the starting strongest side. Um, and to go back to Scott Brown, he will be enormous in this match. He will be absolutely enormous in terms of his experience and his um, being able to kind of. Uh, guide the team in terms of just how the game is going and the phases of the game and reacting to goals for or against. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that he'll bring to the party. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this whole early season jousting has been leading up to Thursday night, which, um, as Richard alludes to, it could be a, a special evening. To me, I, I know there's been a little bit of fretting um, amongst the support about, oh, why haven't we sold these tickets yet? But... It's not going to matter to me. It's not going to matter to me. It's going to be loud. It's going to be noisy. It's it's going to be intense for me and anybody else with AFC in their heart there on Thursday. And um, you know we're all hoping beyond hope that we can get through what will be, I think, a very closely contested ninety, maybe even one hundred and twenty minutes. And maybe the prediction was it your prediction, Martin, on last week's podcast that it would be an Emmanuel Thomas penalty kick to send us through. Yeah, uh, maybe even it will be that uh, which we look back on on Thursday night. Uh, just very briefly before we leave, Ross County visitors to Pataudry on Saturday, now on Sunday even. Uh, so we have a slew of uh, more league games that move to the Sunday. You know, earlier we were talking about how good it was to be back in an away end on Sunday at Tynecastle. We've decided that we can't accommodate the Ross County support on Sunday. That to me is a little bit disappointing, Richard. I, I've seen Rob Wicks's justification for that. But it seems a little bit weak. Yeah, I must admit, I'm I'm with you. Um, let's be honest; the, the, it's not as if ten thousand Ross County fans are going to descend or, or attempt to descend on Petardry. I think you would have hoped that we could have accommodated the few hundred that might have been there. Uh, and 
look, again, they're not going to create much of an atmosphere, but there's just something about having away fans there. And yes, yes. given that pretty much all the other clubs seem to be managing in, in the main to allow away fans in, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Uh, and I would hope that that's, that's it. That's the last one because, well, I mean, it's just, it's just better if there are away fans to taunt during the game. <laughs> Um, speaking of County, Michael, I don't know if you've, you've managed to see them this season, but it's one point, admittedly, from three awkward-looking games, uh, St Johnston, Hibs, and a game at the weekend. Now, clearly, under a new manager, Ross County are still work in progress and still embedding what seems to be a, a, a litany of new signings over the summer. Yes, I saw Ross County yesterday. Um, I, I was up uh, covering their game against Rangers, and... Um, I mean, for a lot of the game, as you would expect, they they um, they had very little of the ball, and it was um, they were doing a lot of uh, running and chasing and closing down. But um, you know, Marky Mackay afterwards was um, was pretty upbeat about the performance in general. They scored twice. They forced uh, Alan McGregor into another couple of saves as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think. They will look at um, coming to Pretoria on Thursday and uh, sorry on uh, Sunday, and they'll they'll know that our mood and our supporters' mood will be dictated to by what happens in the European game. You know, it'll be it'll be either quite uh, buoyant and jubilant, or else it will be a kind of after the Lord Mayor's show kind of thing and, and hard to lift everybody. Um, uh, County do have a tough run of games coming up, no question about it. They've got Celtic, um, and I think they've got uh, Hearts as well. Um, but um, yeah, listen. I mean, they're not they're not going to be hopelessly adrift of the, of the rest of the pack in the Premier League. There'll be um, there'll be a there'll be a tough obstacle to overcome. Well, here's hoping that it is indeed still a carnival atmosphere at Pataudry come Sunday. That is your show for this week. My thanks to Richard Gordon. Richard, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. To Michael Grant. Thank you. Oh, what a pleasure, Richard. Uh, get us on for the final. <laughs> is that the Conference League final or well that's about the only competition we're, cup competition we're in at the moment is it not <laughs> very true and thanks as ever to Martin Clunas Martin thanks cheers Richard please listen next week when hopefully we will be still cock a hoop but having qualified for the group stages of Europe for the first time in 14 years until then come on you Reds. 